Gazette Newspapers presents the Parting Shots Podcast. Now, here's your host, Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor, Ken Schott. Thank you, Scott Geezy, and welcome to the Parting Shots Podcast. Available wherever you get your podcast. Subscribe today. Thanks for joining me from the Parting Shots Podcast Studio in Schenectady, New York. It's a Friday edition of the podcast. Later on, I'll speak with Gazette sports writer Mike McAdam as he previews the Kentucky Derby on Saturday. But first, the high school football season wraps up. We got through some bumps and bruises and some games postponed and canceled, but uh, we made it through seven weeks, and we got some championship games coming up uh, this weekend. To uh, talk about that, I had Gazette sports editor Michael Kelly and staff writers Adam Schinder and Stan Hootie. Well, gentlemen, thanks for coming on the podcast here as we uh, get set for the final uh, week of high school football. Uh, Michael, I'll start with you. Are you surprised we got through it uh, despite some issues? Uh, no, because we got through the winter season, you know, relatively okay. <laughs> um, I mean, that's really the only reason that we had a fall two season in general. Um, so I thought once we got through the winter, I thought we'd get through the fall two season. Um, I mean, in terms of football, there were a lot of games that got missed, though. Um, I'd imagine it's something, you know, it's probably somewhere in the neighborhood of 30% of the games didn't get played, um, which is an awful lot when you consider it's a seven-week season. Um, you know, but for the most part, teams were able to get through at least a bulk of their schedule, um, you know, which I think is a lot better than people would have thought, you know, six, seven months ago when this idea was announced. Adam, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I pretty much echo the same thing. I'm not, I'm not surprised that we got that we're getting through seven weeks of this season. I, it, you know, the, the number of games that was that were canceled along the way were, were obviously frustrating for a lot of teams. Yeah, teams getting their schedules shuffled around. I know as we're trying to figure out games from week to week, it's a, it's a it was a day by day process of really figuring out what games are going on. But after they got through the winter, it did, see, it did seem like they were going to be able to, to make it through this fall, too, and at least some semblance, and they've pretty much done that. Yeah, and Stan, it seemed like we had football games just about every night. I mean, uh, looking at the schedule, I mean, there were games Wednesday, games on Monday, games Sunday. Just, I mean, how, I mean you've been around this for a while. I mean, how, how crazy was it? Uh, it dominated... It dominated our hours inside inside the office because as soon as we got a cancellation, we were chasing not only the game that was canceled, but then how many teams it affected. So typically, what would happen is one game generally led to like four changes, and then we were we had games Thursday through Sunday. So if we were in the broadcast business, you know, for ESPN, this would be a dream to have football every night. Um, as a broadcast. So it was tough. And I, I'm talking to coaches. It was tough, too. We did a story. You know, Stillwater had uh, up to four opponents within 72 hours and just ended up playing a scrimmage. Um, so it was tough. So, I mean, I think as much as everybody's glad they got a season off, I think it wasn't a season that they're particularly proud of. Um, and this was an example of it, it was there for the kids to play. Um, because what I think we lacked this fall two season was you lack that lead up to the big rivalry games and we're circled on the schedule um, because it was so at times haphazard some of these changes. Uh, Adam, it's just me. The game, the quality of the games itself, were they good? I mean, did you some of the the games you covered? What did you think of the games? 
Yeah, uh, early in the season, especially, uh, there were there were some rough moments. There were some early games where there were a lot of you know movement penalties. But you'd expect that at the beginning of any season, and maybe they were they were a little enhanced. I saw a uh, a week two game between Amsterdam and LaSalle where I believe the first five snaps of the game uh, had some sort of either false start, offsides, or uh, alignment penalty on one of the two teams. Uh, I, but it was high, it was high school football and. You know, around here, high school football has been fairly, you know, stratified. There are a lot of blowouts from year to year. The best teams tend to be much better, uh, and we've seen that this year. The top teams in in AA and A and B and C, they've blown their competition out. Uh, But as the season moved on, as we got into some of the the playoff games last week, I was at Shenandoah and Gilderland, which was as competitive a game uh, as we've had all season. It was a tooth and nail game, you know, right into the last couple of minutes. How do you think, uh, Michael, the the, uh, the players, the coaches, the fans, how much do you think they appreciate the games being played? So it's probably different for all three of those groups, right? I think it was probably really, you know, if you were to – if you were to get the 100% truth, it was probably really difficult on coaches. Um, they're used to having, you know, a really long off season, a full preseason, a longer regular season. Um, where I think what we went through was probably really tough on them. Um, you know, and, and they probably feel like they didn't get as much done, <laughs> you know, as they normally would. I think the players, you know, probably just thrilled to get out there and play, um, especially because I think. Unless I'm forgetting some, you know, uh, some really bad days. I thought the weather was uh, better than we at least anticipated it might be for this March-April season. Those kids have probably had a ton of fun playing in the snow. Yeah. Um, and I think for the parents, um, you know, I mean, I think for fans, it's, you know, obviously they couldn't go to, you know, in large numbers to these games. A lot of them had to watch from home. Um, I'd imagine it probably, you know, it was probably the worst for them, you know, in terms of their regular experience, um, just because it was so different. Um, I am interested to see if we continue to stream, though, all these football games moving forward, because, you know, as much as I said, you know, people would rather be there in person. I think there were people, I know there were people who, who liked being able to watch the games online. I had people calling me to, you know, to get the streams for, you know, not only their local team, but also... Like, hey, this game tomorrow sounds pretty good, and maybe I'll watch it. Um, so I, I think that that might be here to stay. Yeah, that might be the big winner out of this whole uh, you know, seven-week football season, the fact that you know schools were streaming games, and this might be the wave of the future. I watched a game online the other day that had a working scoreboard wow. in the web stream, which, uh, you know, when we started doing this, like, with basketball, um, you know, you pretty much had to, to keep track in your head. Um, so, I mean, the schools have, have made some advancements with it already. Um, that, you know, I, I'm interested to see what it will look like this spring with, you know, baseball, softball, lacrosse, and then, you know, when we start football back up, um, you know, in August, September. Stan, who would you, would you think that Amsterdam was probably, probably the most team, the, the team that had the most hard luck this year with, you know, tough losses and the last second losses? Yeah, I was... I, I was the jinx for Amsterdam. I feel really bad for those kids because I had all three of those losses watching all three of those games, and they lose three games by a total of seven points. And probably, if you put a clock on it, in, in under three minutes, those seven points would have made the difference uh, for the Rams. But um, 
you know, it was tough. I mean, you hey, you had a school that, you know, again, went through that bump of, you know, having a game canceled, you know, themselves being in quarantine. So they, they get a week off. Um, they had the same, suffered everybody else uh, with the short preparation. Um, but they were great to watch, uh, talk to, talk to their coach after the last time I saw them. And, you know, they, they were pretty beaten up. They were down to 22 players. Um, and they, they, the one thing about this squad, and I think the joy of high school sports, when we cover teams, when we, in a sense, for ourselves, like a team, it's not the scoreboard, but it's those personalities and the perseverance that Amsterdam had. That's what made me a fan of that group because anytime they were down or anytime, unfortunately, they gave up a lead, they, they, there was not, no helmets were thrown, no, no heads were held down. They were like, let's get this back. So they had that tenacity, and that was enjoyable. And they really fought for every point and a chance to win this year. Um, and that was great to see. So, I mean, that's a team that really made the most, you know, didn't show it, you know, on the record. But that's a team that made the most this fall, too. Of course, now that, a lot of these kids will go play spring sports, which is starting up uh, very shortly. But what about for the coaches and, and the end of these football players? There's really not much preparation time getting ready for uh, the fall season uh, later this year. I mean, how do you think this, this short off season will affect everybody? Michael? For, for me, for me, like the Rams, I think it's great. I think you've got a group of underclassmen that are engaged, um, that know what it's like to compete, talking to Coach Homich. All those underclassmen got a ton of time. And then it's, a, you know, teens, you know, probably like most adults have a short memory. So I think the fact that they just, you know, were out there striving and having success, you know, and making plays, you know, in April, you know, July is going to come pretty quick, and I think they're going to be more apt to get right back into it. And you're not going to have that drop off in fitness, uh, game planning, and things like that. I think next year's fall season, I think the blowouts go away. Michael, yeah, I mean, I think I think last year something I said on the podcast was that coaches heading into that when the, when the season was going to be in the fall, beyond the obvious health and safety issues. The coaches were most concerned about who's going to show up on the first day of practice because they hadn't had their traditional offseason with the kids. They didn't know, you know, if Johnny was coming out to play or if he was going to, you know, go do something else. I think since they just played now, you know, they're going to maybe take a little time off, you know, if kids are playing baseball, lacrosse, what have you. Um, but other kids will just get right in the, you know, in the weight room and start working toward next season. Um, that, you know, I think these coaches probably have to be careful of not overdoing it with these kids. Um, but those kids also didn't get to play football for, you know, uh, you know, a year and a half or, or whatever it turned out to be that I'd imagine there's a lot of excitement just to keep going that, uh, you know, I, I don't know if the blowouts will go away, like, like Stan said, but I, I think that we will see a lot of interest, um, heading into next fall and then next fall could be one of our better, um, local football seasons. Yeah, I, I would, I would absolutely agree with that because this is. Probably the closest we'll ever get around here to a to a Texas or Florida like football calendar where they have, you know, legitimate competition in the spring and they'll roll right into, like you said, weightlifting and seven on seven. And essentially you're getting an eight month program 
uh, of, of football for these for these kids. And obviously, there'll be some who take breaks, some who some who play spring sports, some who you know play baseball or lacrosse or, or something, in the, or basketball AAU in the summer. But there's probably more time that these coaches will get to spend with these kids in a calendar year than you'd ever see. Championships games are coming up Friday night. Uh, Class Double A, Gildeland's going to be at Shaker. Uh, what are your thoughts on that, on that game, guys? I mean, Shaker has been, you know, the the best team in that in that classification all year long. Uh, but you know, until last week when CBA gave gave Shaker a run for a little while through through five weeks, Gildeland was the only team that had scored on Shaker. Uh, they gave him a, they gave him a real good game, thirty five twenty five Shaker win. Gildeland's coming off you know very very strong win against against Shenandoah, and they, you can't forget that you know Gildeland knocked off Shaker in the uh, in the twenty nineteen class double A semifinals. So these two teams have some postseason history, and I think this is going to be a really really interesting game, probably the most interesting of the the championship games that we have. Michael. Yeah, I'm, I'm with I'm with Adam on that. I think you know that's going to be the game to watch. I think uh, you know in the A um, again, just as I think Shaker is will be the class of Double A. I think Troy's going to be the same thing in the A. I think Burn Hills, you know, is able to put up points. Um, I think you know the Troy Burn Hills game is going to be a wild one. I think it's going to be high scoring, but I think Troy's going to come out on top. Uh, I think Shaker's just. The longevity and the line, um, I, I think. I think it's going to be Shaker's game to lose. Gilderland by thirty. No. <laughs> um, that would be a great game. <laughs> I, that would be, you know, and they, they played at Shaker earlier in the season too. Um, you know, so you don't have to add any points <laughs> to that one. You know, it was a ten point game that was really competitive late. Because um, you know, I, I forget the exact details, but that, that was a single digit game really late in it. Um, yeah. I, I think that would be a great one. I actually do like Gilderland in the game, but not by 30. And I, I kind of would echo what, what Stan was just saying there about Gordon Hills Troy, um, where I, you know I think there's the there's a I, I'm not I'm not counting Burn Hills out, but there is a chance that Troy is you know the best team in that class by far. There's a chance too that Troy is the best team in the area by far. You know you know just if we were to put them on the field with Shaker or Gilderland. Um, so I am interested to see. You know what comes of that Class A game because um, that will be, you know, I think our first real great barometer of how good this Troy team is. Yeah, I, I'd agree exactly because you know, yeah, if you if you look at maybe one constant in, in Section Two football over the past you know fifteen years, it is that you can never count out a Burn Hills team uh, at any point in this area in this era. But Troy has been has been so so good this year, and I think I think we'd all agree that they clearly have. The, the, the most talented, the best player in the section, and their running back Xavier Lee, who is just a threat to to, to to get to the end zone every single time he touches the ball. Of course, in Class B, we got um, Glens Falls and Shaman playing Friday night at Stillwater. Uh, Michael, you're going to be covering that game. That, that could be a pretty high-scoring affair. Yeah, and I think that's what we'd have to expect with those two teams is, you know, something in the 30s probably both ways. Um you know, both teams like to run the ball. Um, both teams score a lot of points. Uh, both teams haven't really been challenged a ton this season. Um, so, I mean, that's definitely a game to watch. Yeah, absolutely a chance for that game to be a uh, to be a track meet. Uh, you know, Shaman has has 
their quarterback, their quarterback Trent Randall, their running back Rodney Parker is a really great combination. And Glenn Smalls, not only can they can they run the ball, but they put the ball in the air pretty well. And yeah, this game really has the potential. Uh, I think we'd be shocked uh, if the if the if the if the total in that game isn't isn't anywhere into the sixties or beyond. Stan, I, I totally agree. I to, I totally agree. I I think it's you know going to be a high scoring affair. I think. Uh, I think Mike's uh, staff board is going to be busy. Uh, I think that's going to be a back and forth. Um, I think it's going to be probably the highest scoring. I think, uh, you know, I don't know what the unofficial over-under is speculation, but I think I think 100 would be a, a good guess. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, uh, we're looking at Class C, guys. Skylerville, Hudson Falls. Uh, uh, so who's at Falls, Tamarack? Uh, Skylerville, these teams are both undefeated, and... Skylerville has just looked untouchable this year. Pretty much in, in, in their in their games this season, no one's been able to stand on the semifinal last week. They put up 36 points in the first quarter against Kiksaki Athens, which is absurd. And our class I'm Skylerville Skyler all the way, so that's, I'm easy on that one. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll make it a clean, a clean sweep for Skylerville. Okay. What about Class D, guys? Well, there aren't playoff games nope. in Class D, okay. per se. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so we don't have to worry about picking yeah. that. <laughs> so I don't I think anybody's going to win the championship. <laughs> yeah, I believe they technically got the, the game between the two top teams out of the way last week, and I believe Greenwich did beat uh, Lake George Hadley Lesser. Gotcha. Okay. Well, guys, I appreciate a few minutes talking high school football, and uh, it has been a, you know, a crazy season. Uh, we got through it, and now we're getting ready for spring. All right, thanks, Kenny. All right, thanks, guys. Thanks, Ken. Uh, coming up, we'll talk Kentucky Derby with Mike McAdam here on the Parting Shots podcast. Sign up for the weekly Daily Gazette sports newsletter. The newsletter features updates on the local sports scene from our staff writers, debate on topics local and national, and reveals the latest guests for the Parting Shots podcast. The newsletter is free. To sign up, head to dailygazette.com. Hi, this is Harborside Hal Wafer. I'm the manager of the River Sportsbook at Rivers Casino and Resort. Now, it's always a winning bet to listen to the Parting Shots podcast with Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott. Welcome back to the podcast. After seeing the Kentucky Derby run in September last year due to the coronavirus pandemic, the Run for the Roses is back in its traditional first Saturday in May. And to talk about that is Gazette horse racing writer Mike McAdam. Mike, uh, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Ken. The planets are back in alignment <laughs> in the solar system. Yeah, I know. It's great. But let, yeah, let's set the scene here. Uh, the race back at the first Saturday of September, as I, uh, for, uh, May, as I said. And uh, we're going to see fans limited, maybe about 45,000, including about 15,000 in the infield. Um, what's it going to be like? Well, first of all, the weather's supposed to be fine. Um, they've been getting rain as we have this week, which might leave some moisture in the turf course. So if you're handicapping the turf races on Friday and Saturday, you might take that into consideration. But Churchill Downs uh, is pretty much the stadium golf course of racetracks, so it dries out really quickly. So dirt races, including the Derby and the Oaks on Friday, shouldn't be affected by all the rain they're getting this week. Um, 
it will be kind of cool. They were trying to have fans there last year, and at the last second, Kentucky had a spike in cases, so they had to pull back and have nobody there. And this year, um, the governor uh, just of Kentucky, Bashir, just um, up the percentage up to like 50%, and, and, and it's up to 60 for outdoor venues and uh, 60%. So based on that, typically the Derby gets, you know, pushing 150,000 people, including the infield, which is, you know, this crazy mosh pit, muddy <laughs> mosh pit when it rains, um, you know, kind of like Woodstock where nobody's actually, as someone said, they're there because of the race, not for the race. Mm -hmm. um, so this year they're going to have about 15,000 on the infield. They're actually sold like some reserve box seats there, which is kind of a new thing to keep people spread out, but they also have like a general admission component there too. So total, they're looking at about 45,000 people between the 15 and the, the infield. And and so it should return to, to much of its identity just by having that large crowd. I mean, 45,000 is gigantic at Saratoga. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's a third of what they usually get at, at, at Churchill for the Derby. So we'll, we'll get back to some of that, you know, quote unquote normalcy. Looking back to last September, we, you watched the race. How strange was it watching that Kentucky Derby and not seeing fans there? Well, having been there and done the walkover, which is where they assemble the field in the seven furlong shoot on the backstretch, and then they walk on the outside rail along the fence in post position order, and that's 20 horses with all their connections and their trainers and any, and any media that wants to walk over. I certainly took the advantage of of doing that the two times I've been to the Derby. And there's just like that section of the clubhouse of Churchill Downs is just this gigantic canyon of people. You can't, I've never seen anything like it in my life, I can honestly say. And they make this huge roar, just watching the horses come over on their way to cut through the tunnel to get to the paddock to be saddled. Um, last year, it's funny because when during the running of the race, you don't really notice it because you're just listening to the call and everything is normal, especially when you're watching it, obviously, when you're watching it on TV. Um, afterwards, it was hard to really, you know, tell, the, you know, I mean, you know, no crowd, crowd shots. I mean, certainly the TV production of people lose a big element there. You know, it's such a big part of the derby, especially with all the fashion and the hats and the dresses and suits and everything. Um, you know, obviously we... we we um, experienced this at Saratoga last, last year where, you know, we're used to seeing a ton of fans, even on bad racing days, <laughs> there's nobody there. And it's a ghost town. So it was crazy. I, speaking of which, we did get some encouraging news this week um, when uh, Governor Andrew Cuomo had announced a little while ago, a couple of weeks ago, that racetracks would be able to open up. And then it took a couple of weeks for the New York Racing Association to kind of get their, you know, their plan squared away with the guidelines that are in place. But as of Derby Day on Saturday, there will be fans, about 7,000 of them. Well, that that's the max that they can have. I don't know how many they'll actually have under, you know, testing and, and uh, vaccination proof guidelines and things like that. So there's going to be a little bit of a crowd at Belmont Park for the simulcast and for the live racing card at Belmont, too. So um, we're kind of grinding our way back to, you know, what we're used to seeing, which is cool. Well, let's start uh, talk about the races. First of all, the Friday is always the Kentucky Oaks Day. Uh, you're yep. seeing a nice show down there. Yeah, there's four horses in there that are all legit, and they're very difficult to separate. We've got Malathot, trained by Todd Pletcher. We've got search results from Chad Brown's barn. Travel column uh, from Brad Cox, who's the Eclipse Award winner for the first time last year after the 
insane year that he had last year. And then Clarier from Steve Asmus. And the cool thing is, as hard as it is to separate, and I know a lot of people are leaning toward Malathot, the grade one Ashland winner who's undefeated for four starts, it's reasonable to believe that we'll see any or all these at Saratoga in the two big three-year-old Philly dirt races, which, of course, is the Coaching Club of American Oaks and the Alabama. So we'll keep an eye on those four. You know, if a bomb comes in, that, that, that'll be kind of strange, but it's been happening before in the Oaks. Um, Princess of Silmar comes to mind a few years ago. Um, but these four are really kind of tough to separate. Two of them are, are undefeated still, Malafat and search results. And Travel Column and Clarier are very nearly undefeated in the fact that they've already butted heads against each other three times with Travel Column winning twice um, contributes a little bit to them not being undefeated because <laughs> yeah. someone's got to win when they go against each other. We get all four of them in one race. Who do you like in that white race? Well, I mean, Malafat is really hard to get away from, but I'm going to take a hard look at um, to see what kind of price. I mean, Malathot is 5-2, to two, search results, travel column are both 3-1, to one, and Clarier is 5-1 to one to show you how close it is. And I'm going to take a hard look at search results. If I can get 3-1, to one, which is her morning line, um, you know, Chad Brown's had some success with Phillies. He had Dunbar Road win the Alabama a few years ago, and she's, she's running this weekend, too, in one of the older Philly races. So if I can get 3-1 to one on search results, I'll, I'll take a little swing there. On Saturday, of course, the uh, Derby undercard. Uh, one, there's a couple of races you're looking at there. One is the Derby City Distaff, and uh, Bob Baffer has a horse in uh, Gamine in that one. And uh, he's a one to five favorite. She's a one. She, I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah, it's a, it's a, <laughs> yes. turf, or it's a, uh, a dirt sprint for for older fillies. Um, these two races, I'm interested in just watching, not necessarily betting. I certainly won't bet the Gamine race because she's one to five and will probably go off at pretty close to that. Um, She's the Eclipse Award-winning award uh, sprint filly from last year, certainly in the middle of some controversy with Baffert uh, between her and Charlatan, who were disqualified um, out of races in Arkansas last year. And um, subsequently, recently, um, the suspensions to Baffert were overturned, although he still had to pay fines. So Gamine is, is one of the best horses in North America across all divisions. She's had some controversy around her. She's a legit one to five in this race, by far the biggest favorite on the whole weekend. There's a couple four to fives, and she's one to five. It's legit. Um, she's run once this year, and it was a few weeks ago in the Las Flores, and she won for fun, which essentially amounted to a public workout. So I'll I'll, I'll be interested to see. You know, she's going to win win by open lengths and and kind of you know maintain her status as the best uh, female sprinter in the country. Country Colonel Liam right now is ranked as the as the best turf runner in the country. Um, he won the Pegasus World Cup uh, turf uh, portion of that card, which is a million dollar race uh, earlier in the year, and, and then subsequently won again. Um, he gets a rematch against a Chad Brown, <clears throat> her horse named Domestic Spending, whose only loss in his career so far was in the uh, National Racing uh, Hall of Fame uh, race at Saratoga last year. Subsequently. Um, finished third, uh, uh, Colonel Liam finished third to him in the uh, Saratoga Derby, which is Colonel Liam's only loss. So, um, it'll be kind of cool to see them, but have them in the, uh, turf class. Yeah. Uh, there are a lot of, uh, lately, uh, raised horses in this, uh, Kentucky Derby who made career debuts in the fall or later. And only one of the 20 Chad Brown's highly motivated who raced in Saratoga last year. This is unusual and an obvious product of the uh, racing calendar being disrupted by the pandemic. How do you see this playing out? Well, um, for one thing, it makes it more likely that 
the relatively light, uh, lightly raced horse will win the Derby, which, um, you know, since 1915, there's been three horses to win the Derby off of just three starts, career starts coming into it. That was regret in 1915, Philly, Big Brown in 08 and Justify in 18. So it's kind of rare, but this year, if it happens, the only reason it wouldn't happen is because some of the ones that have only run three times aren't really that good, I don't think. But, you know, the two-year-olds last year, which are obviously are the three-year-olds running in the Derby this year, really had their normal campaign postponed into the fall because typically what you like to do with your good two-year-old is, is sneak a, a maiden race into them in April, like at Belmont Park, if they're really good. And then by the time Saratoga rolls around in August and uh, September, July, um, that's when the big, um, you know, two-year-old graded stakes races start cropping up in the calendar. And if you think you have a good one, you're going to run them there. Um, but a lot of these horses, some of them didn't even run last year. And so the two-year-olds really had their calendar. Everybody got, you know, waylaid by the pandemic. But the two-year-olds really kind of got the start of their career postponed, which puts the Derby this year in a position of having lightly raced horses, horses that didn't start their career until very late, and really only one out of 20 horses who actually ran at Saratoga last year, which was highly motivated. And uh, he finished, I think, a neck behind his career debut. And, and uh, we'll get to him later. Um, but yeah, so it's kind of an unusual usual dynamic, but it's it's also one of those things that is direct byproduct of you know what happened on the calendar. The essential quality is the two-to-one favorite coming out of the 14th post. So who's your Derby, uh, derby Superfecta? Well, we can, we can start with that. Um, <laughs> I actually, I'm trying to beat him. He's a legit, um, obvious favorite. He's the champion. He's five for five undefeated. He has by far the best resume of anybody in this 20-horse field. Won the Breeders' Cup Juvenile last year to clinch the Eclipse Award for male uh, juvenile. Um, and he's done nothing wrong this year except, in my mind, not win the bluegrass more convincingly than, he, than last time out, which was his first time stretching out longer than a mile and a 16th. Um, he ran a mile and an eighth and highly motivated, gave him everything he could handle all the way down the stretch. And I think for that reason alone, if there's a little bit of distance issue with essential quality, it'll show up on Saturday in the mile and a quarter derby. At least that's what I'm counting on with, you know, how I'm going to be wagering. I guess <laughs> he's legit two to one. He's the champ. He's undefeated. He's everything you want to see. Um, but we're going to start it off. I, I'm leaning toward hot rod. Put it this way. It, it, I very quickly settled on my top four out of the 20. And then it took forever to kind of figure out what order <laughs> I like those four. That took a long time. Um, and I settled on hot rod Charlie, trained by Doug O'Neill. Uh, one thing I really like about him was he won the Louisiana Derby convincingly. And that race is at a mile and 316. So he's the only horse in this field not only well not there's a couple that have run longer than a mile and eighth but they all got beat by him in that race so he's won at a mile and three sixteenths in a grade two stakes um uh he, he was three quarters of the length behind essential quality in the breeders cup juvenile so he ought to be able to hang with them um uh flavian prada is a very good uh, uh rider who replaces joel rosario which i thought was kind of interesting because rosario i'm really big on him he had an amazing year last year and i voted for him in the uh the eclipse awards and even though he didn't win um i have a ton of respect for him and he's gotten better it's interesting that he jumped off hot rod charlie and 
who the heck is he? <laughs> he's on one of the other ones I like. Um, um, but oh, he's on Rock Your World, who I picked third. So my super fact is Hot Rod Charlie, highly motivated, who I was very strongly leaning toward picking on top for Chad Brown. I, I love him. Um, third, Rock Your World, Santa Anita Derby winner. And fourth, I have Mandaloon, who's the long shot out of this group. Um, I thought he was making a really nice progression before he kind of bombed in the Louisiana Derby last time. So I'm willing to scratch that one. He's been working lights out by all accounts at Churchill this week. Um, he's been one of the most impressive workers over the track this week. So I threw him in at fourth. I, you know, essential quality could win. I, I mean, obviously he can win, and, and but I'm – going to be willing to wager against him and this is the time to beat him because um he's two to one he's really not going to bring a lot of value uh there's some good horses in here um rock your world the santa anita derby winner um you know he was convincing in that race um so that's my top four i got hot rod charlie highly motivated who was very close to picking on top rock your world mandaloon and one of the outsiders that's kind of getting a lot of buzz this week is is a little bit of a wise guy horse is King Fury at twenty to one. So I'll be interested in him a little bit. <laughs> and one other horse I wanted to mention is Known Agenda, the Florida Derby winner for Todd Fletcher and, and the best jockey in the country, Irad Ortiz. He's six to one, and he drew the number one post, the dreaded number one that nobody wants. And one thing they did last year was they built a brand new starting gate. They spent a billion, you know, not a billion, but a gazillion dollars to be more specific um, on a new starting gate that has 20 stalls. They used to have a 14 regular starting gate that they used on an everyday basis. And then they had a six stall auxiliary thing on the outside. And it was just a nightmare. And one of the problems was if you got stuck with the one hole, you were literally as Rosie Napravnik, former jockey, was illustrating on TV this morning. You're running straight toward the bend in the rail, mm -hmm. like toward it. So you have to adjust to that, which is bad enough. And the other bad thing is you have 19 horses outside <laughs> on the other side of you yeah. that are, you know, even more imposing than the rail itself, who are just crushing you. And subsequently, the one hole in 146 runnings of the Derby has only won, has only been the winning post eight times, um, which is a small number when you consider. Somebody was in the one hole for every running of those 146. Yeah. I mean, some of the outside pools have low, lower numbers than that, but they didn't always have 17 horses in the field for the 17 to be over forever. Um, but with this new starting gate, it actually accommodates that rail, so you're not running at it anymore. And I think Known Agenda is a really good horse, and he would have been in my mix if he didn't get stuck with the one. So um, he's going to be one I'm going to take a little look at. Six to one isn't real tasty coming from the one it's still the one <coughs> excuse me but known agenda and and one of my you know my long bomb outsiders probably king fury that i'm gonna try to sneak in there somehow well mike appreciate a few minutes as always talking horse racing and uh we'll see what happens saturday uh on nbc with the kentucky derby looking forward to it hit some home runs everybody <laughs> all right that's mike mcgadam i'll be back to wrap up the podcast in just a moment The NASCAR season is here, and it's time to play the Daily Gazette's Auto Racing Contest. Go to dailygazette.com to sign up and play. Predict the order of finish of each race via your auto racing account. The fan with the most correct points for the race will win a $50 grocery card 
and have their name mentioned on the Party Shots podcast and printed in Friday's Daily Gazette. The fan with the most overall points at the end of the season wins a $250 grocery card. You can also win a $75 Visa gift card provided by Second Street if you're the weekly national winner. If you are the overall national winner, you will win a trip for two to the 2022 Daytona 500. So go to dailygazette.com, sign up, and play today. The Daily Gazette Auto Racing Contest is run by the Daily Gazette Advertising Department and not associated with the Daily Gazette Sports Department. Hi, this is RPI men's hockey coach Dave Smith, and you are listening to the Parting Shots podcast with Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott. Back to wrap up the podcast. Keep checking out dailygazette.com and the print edition for the latest updates in news and sports on the coronavirus pandemic. I want to thank all the doctors, nurses, and first responders who are dealing with this pandemic. We appreciate the job you're doing in this difficult time. Even though the vaccine for the coronavirus is here, keep wearing the face mask while you're out. Be positive. Stay negative. And I'll still be wearing my mask when I get my second shot on Monday. That wraps up another edition of the Parting Shots podcast. I'd like to thank my Daily Gazette colleagues, Michael Kelly, Adam Schinder, Stan Hootie, and Mike McAdam for coming on the show. If you have questions or comments about the podcast, email them to me at shot, that's S-C-H-O-T-T, at dailygazette.com. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Slapshots. The views expressed in the Parting Shots podcast are not necessarily those of Gazette newspapers. The Parting Shot Podcast is a production of Gazette Newspapers. I'm Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next time. From the Parting Shots Podcast Studio in Schenectady, New York, good day, good sports, be smart, stay safe, wear the face mask.